the J Talk podcast. Yes, 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 yes. Hello and welcome to the J Talk podcast. Ben Maxwell and Johnny Nickel with you. And Johnny, another productive international break for the Samurai Blue. Yeah, it's been, been quite a quite the weekend. And yeah, Moriasa used to be a bit of a figure of fun. We were able to, to get lots of lots of material out having a go at his selections and his tactics. But you know, everything he touch everything he touches turns to gold at the moment. So I don't know how much we'll have to say other than, than good good glowing praise for what's been going on in the Samurai Blue camp in, in recent days. Uh, how about yourself, Ben? How have you been? Very good. Thanks, Johnny. And yes, actually got to watch both of the uh, the national team games in full uh, over the course of the uh, yeah the last five days or so. So that's uh, made a pleasant change. And um, yeah, Japan served up some decent fare at times across the two games uh, against Canada and Tunisia. So on this uh, episode of JTalk, we'll round up those two games. We'll also chat about the Levine Cup semi-finals that uh, took place over the international break as well. And then, uh, well, yeah, we'll look forward to the resumption of J1 with the five games left in the top flight season and obviously a lot, an awful lot to be decided at both ends of the table uh, with the, yes, the climax rapidly approaching. So uh, we'll begin with uh, what transpired at the Neuver Stadium on Tuesday night. Johnny, it was a Japan hosting Tunisia. Uh, ten spaces between them in the FIFA rankings, but um, yeah, it was a pretty uh, seismic chasm for the most part uh, on the pitch between these two teams. Uh, Japan running out extremely comfortable 2-0 victors. It was, uh, yeah, as we said, uh, another productive international break. And uh, once again, uh, Japan were, uh, well, yeah, far too good for their opponents on this occasion. Yes, I mean it's, it's easy to sit here and say it's a, it's a comfortable win for Japan, which which it absolutely was. But it wasn't that long ago Tunisia came to Japan and won one three nil in the in Panasonic Stadium. So for Japan to to turn around and, and get a bit of revenge on on Tunisia, very pleasing for the fans. It, you know, I, I really like the stadium in in Kobe. The fans are very close to the pitch. They're they're very noisy. They're very passionate when Vissel are playing, and obviously very passionate when the the Samurai Blue turn up and. Yeah, I think they, they got their, I guess you could say they got their money's worth tonight. They got to see the, the hometown hero, the former VCL star, uh, Kyogo Furuhashi, got, got a goal. They, they got a good result. And, you know, I, I only managed to catch catch the highlights of this one. But, the, I mean, the stats look very very much one way. And, you know, you were saying in the green room and I said to one of my Gamba friends, if you can get, give me some updates of how things are going and that the feeling seemed to be that Isem Jabali will be being fine for, for Saturday as he didn't really have a whole lot of attacking to do in this game. And, you know, Zion Suzuki, I mean, you know, he got a, a clean sheet on his debut. Uh, I'm, I'm sure he might have liked to be a bit, you know, a bit busier. He, he didn't seem to have too much to do, but he had a, a very experienced back line in front of him, the, both the holding midfielders and, and the back four. And it, it's sometimes, you know, Moriasu, it's not always clear what he's doing with the selections. Like, why did he go with these guys in this game and these guys in, in the next game? But it seemed like out of the, the two games, he, he picked a slightly stronger lineup here. And, I mean... From my like, brief highlights watching, it seemed Ben like in, in the first half, like uh, Morita, Hatate, and especially Kubo seemed to be quite heavily involved. Was that was that the case? Yeah, absolutely. I thought Hatate was uh, yeah tremendous. He certainly made the most of uh, yeah his opportunity to to start the game and. Um, well, unfortunately, he would have loved to have done better with a, a shot in the uh, the 23rd minute that he skied 
after a, uh, a ball was deflected across the box. That was uh, Japan's first shot from open play, but then um, he just gave an indication of how classy he is a couple of minutes later, Hatate with a, a stunning crossfield ball out to uh, to junior Ito, although unfortunately Ito was uh, crowded out before Japan could make the most of that opportunity. But yeah, you mentioned Furuhashi, Johnny, and he got to Japan on the score sheet uh, just before half time, And yeah, it was Hatate involved in the move, although it was uh, an unintentional assist, I suppose. He was uh, trying to play the ball out to the right-hand side again, but the, the ball deflected off a defender and into the path of uh, Furuhashi, who was uh, Johnny on the spot and slotted past the keeper for 1-0. And, uh, well, yeah, obviously a thoroughly deserved lead at halftime for Japan. And, yeah, Hatate was the outstanding player, I thought, uh, in the first half, at least, um, yeah, from an attacking perspective. Uh, Yeah, I mean, as the game progressed and, uh, yeah, substitutions were made uh, that didn't really affect the the amount of dominance that uh, Japan had on proceedings. Um, There was a a chance for Yukinari Sugawara just past the hour when he shot uh, just wide uh, from the edge of the box. Then, uh, with about 20 minutes to go, Takafusa Kubo shot across the face. But uh, a minute later, he uh, eased past his man down the uh, the left and squared for Junior Ito, who uh, side-footed home crisply for 2-0. Um, yeah, you mentioned Suzuki would have liked to have a little bit more to do, perhaps, in goal. Um, the uh, yeah, one the, I guess the, the first real major action involving him was a, a slip that he had in the first minute of second half stoppage time when uh, the uh, his defence had to uh, rush over and clear the ball away after uh, a defender uh, tried to square across the box. Suzuki slipped under a little bit of pressure from a Tunisian attacker, and uh, Japan were finally able to uh, to get the ball away and then uh, Tunisia uh, their one and only shot of the uh, the the occasion that I would say the 90 minutes but it actually came in the 94th minute Johnny was when uh, they had a, a, a ball crossed into the box and uh, a header uh, hit the post and bounced across the face of goal before again it was cleared so um yeah all things considered uh, a, a a very satisfactory I think walk, a walk in the park at the Novi Stadium for Japan. And again, more food for thought for for Moriyasu. As we've said, he, he keeps uh, apparently getting his tactics and his uh, selections, his substitutions right, Johnny. But uh, I guess, is, is, he, is he leaving himself more questions than answers when it comes to actually narrowing down a squad for the Asian Cup? Because, you know, a lot of his recent call-ups haven't done their chances any harm in, in recent international breaks, have they? Yeah, I'm looking down at my notebook here. The, I've written down the, the two lineups over the, the two games and also the, the substitutions. And you know, you look at especially that that left wing, considering Kaoru Mitoma pulled out before um, before the squad got together, and then uh, Keito Nakamura yeah, did, did a brilliant job um, before getting injured against Canada. And then Hatate, as you said, has, has come in and played outstanding down that left wing. So to I mean to have three players of that quality that can all play in that position. It's just it's just amazing for for Japan given like where they've been in the the past and then Kubo coming in in that number ten role and I think as you and Sam said that before like at times when Kubo's played for Japan there's been a lot of hype and a lot of the kind of casual fans watching no no Kubo but he hasn't really delivered but I think the last few performances you've really started to see the the kind of level of consistency you'd expect from someone playing for a, a good level team in the the Spanish like Primera Liga. 
he seemed to be like really on it. And uh, Junior Ito never really seems to have a, a bad game down the right. And you've also had like Minamino's come back in from the cold. Altanaka's got got two goals in the the first game against Canada. You know, just yeah, going forward, especially midfield and attack, really really stacked. I guess at either end at that that defence tonight they had with Sugawara, Itakura, Tomiyasu, and good to see Nakayama back playing play both games. Mm. Um, it's like some I've put out a couple of articles in in recent weeks in my blog and some the kind of feedback I've got. A lot of people have commented how many kind of new fullbacks are coming into the Japanese game. And you've seen people like Maikuma getting a game. Handa was in the squad before. Um, Kashif. So I'm not saying all these guys can be world beaters, but there are numbers coming through to potentially help out some of Japan's weaker areas. Goalies against Suzuki, Osako. Kojima came into the squad at the, the expense of, of Maikawa. And Nakamura was injured. Schmidt. There's a load of names there. Again, maybe in centre forward. Again, you've got Asano, Furuhashi, you've got, got Ueda. Maybe that'd be the one area, like, you know, if you could dream up a, an Erling Haaland or a, a Robert Lewandowski to come in, then you know, Japan would be a potential World Cup contender uh, to, to win the whole thing. But yeah, yeah, just looking at some of these areas, uh, frothing at the mouth, some of the some of the talent available to, to Hajime Moriyasu. And I think you were mentioning before, Ben, I think some people in the, the patron group have been discussing, like, players who might have kind of nailed down their spot for the, the Asian Cup or players who might be on the fringes. Did, did you have any kind of thoughts you wanted to share on that? Well, yeah, absolutely. There's some some ripping comments from uh, the Patreon-only line group uh, this evening, Johnny, after this game. I mean, Tony, uh, well, yeah, discussing the squad in general uh, amongst ourselves, and, and Tony makes the point that there was a much bigger gap between the best players and the worst players in, in previous generations where uh, the the squad is a lot more even now with a, a, a you know a couple of outliers at the top end so yeah it's it's definitely a uh, better looking squad from from top to bottom now and I, I did warn Tony I was going to steal that for for the podcast so I've given him enough credit there hopefully and then yeah I mean Brett uh, Brett says that if uh, if the Asian Cup squad is only going to be 23 guys then some deserving ones are gonna have to be left out and that is absolutely borne out by the fact that after I saw that from Brett, I decided to scratch out um, how many uh, players I reckon are, are guaranteed to be on the plane uh, to Qatar. And yeah, I mean, I've got 19 with um, with nine on the fringes and don't want to go through them one by one. But I mean, I mentioned them to you in, in the green room and I think we're of a similar mind and most listeners could probably pick out uh, the, you know, the players that we're, we, we have in mind for that. I think um, the likes of Keito Nakamura, uh, who you mentioned, has made himself into a um, yeah a, a definite member of the Asian Cup squad, uh, providing fitness, of course, um, with his uh, recent performances. Uh, I think he's been absolutely terrific. Um, but yeah, there's a, a few doubts. Obviously, there's a, maybe a couple of positions uh, in defence. Maybe we need two spaces. Uh, filled by you know three or four the likes of Hashioka, Maikuma or Machida maybe two of those will go and one one will be left out unluckily um, in midfield maybe Hatate and Minamino or, or, although they have impressed in this break you you wonder whether they've done enough to get past some incumbents and up front as I mentioned you know Asano's the only 
guaranteed um, squad member, I think, up front. You know, the likes of Wada, Furuhashi, Maida, and even Machino, you know, I think that, you know, they're going to have to fight it out, the four of them, for maybe three spots in the squad. So uh, I think he deserves a lot of praise for, um, for for bringing new blood into the squad since the World Cup. But, um, yeah, it does mean he's going to have a, quite a number of a selection headaches, I think, once it comes down to, to narrowing his squad for uh, for the Asian Cup in January. Yeah, I think that with Moriyasu, you mentioned he has brought in some some new players. Like for example, like Kato Nakamura's come into the squad, um, or someone like Sugawara's really like nailed down his his position. Um, I I don't think, and this is for I'm not I'm not making any staggering claims here. I, I don't think you'll get any any new player will emerge like in, in the November internationals, or no one will come in as a bolt from the blue. There'll be no no Yuma Suzuki called up in in January or anything like that. I think. But Moriyasu, he 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 is less conservative than perhaps I've I've criticised him for being. But I think yeah, Okunuki is a bit of a bolt from the blue here, but that was with a lot of injuries. I I, I just can't see that kind of level of of kind of taking someone like that to to the Asian Cup. Um, yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see because t- tonight I don't know if, if you noticed that the Japan the, the starting eleven and also the substitutes used there was no J League players used at all. So it was actually as a Gamba fan pointed out that Isam Jabali was the only J League player on the on the field. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I don't know if that might kind of give us a clue as to maybe he's going to lean a bit more heavily on you know the likes of uh, Aski Ito or, or the likes um, in the in the November qualifiers, but. I think he probably used these these two games to give people like some minutes. Your your Itakuras, your Tomiyasu's, Endo's, Moritas are absolutely going to be on the on the plane to Qatar. Um, and in November you might see a, a strong Japan, but not necessarily the, the strongest side. And then, yeah, it, it'll be more a case of who's not in the squad. I think like it's it's a great position to be in to have 25, 30 players almost demanding to be in a 23 player squad. It's it's every coach's dream, but you know. Mr. Moriyasu, he's got. I'm sure he'll, he'll let his hair down a little bit for the next night or so. But then he's got got a lot of thinking to do, a lot of watching to do, a lot of people to talk to before he he really narrows down that squad for January. Indeed, and well, yeah, more on that. Uh, we did have a question come in from a listener. Um, name sounds familiar, but I can't place it. A uh, uh, Sam Robson uh, got in touch with us, Johnny, um, wondering uh, because he's seen many people suggest that uh, Japan may take a weaker team or more domestic-based team to the Asian Cup. Do you see that happening, and would it be the right approach? I mean, I think what we've seen from Moriyasu is that, yeah, he's... uh, I I think he's intent on capitalising on the the, the feel-good factor from the last World Cup, and I think he wants to go as strong as possible. So I know Sam has had, uh, you know, disagreements with, um, with people on x slash twitter about about this and yeah it is a, a obviously an official uh you know fifa sanctioned tournament an official window that uh, european teams are required to release their uh, players for so um i i don't think there's any um any possibility at all that he he won't go as full strength as possible um and i i, I pretty sure that is Sam's um, policy as well, but I, I can see why he's asked the question uh, because other people have put it to him. But um, yeah, I mean, he's, he's got to go all out and win this surely. I mean, he's, he's got to capitalize on um, how, uh, how well Japan did results wise from the last world cup. And he's uh, yeah, I think he's got to, um, uh, he's got to try and yeah, he's got to try and win this and bring it back home. Yeah. I'd, I'd have to agree thoroughly with, with yourself and, and Sam there. I, 
I'm obviously there will be there'll be injuries at that time of the year, but I think Moriasa will 100%. He'll pick the the strongest players available. Well, why wouldn't he? I, I know from like a, a European perspective, there's always that very neatness to it. There's like a two-year cycle to the European Championships, and there's a two-year cycle to the World Cup. And usually, I know it's usually the Asian Cup is like six months after the World Cup. We've got a, a year this time, but I mean that still leaves two and a half years to the next major competition, the, the World Cup. And I believe this time there's like eight Asian qualifiers. So I, I mm. think this cycle might actually turn out to be the, the last. And I think they'll change things after the next World Cup when they see how it works out. But I mean, I think Yonaka Gawara posted, I think it's next October or November is the next time Japan can play like a, a non-Asian team. Because it's all Asian Cup and, and qualifiers till then. And you know, with the eight Asian teams qualifying, the, the, the quality... I mean, there's quality at the top, but then the drop-off is quite quite large. Japan are not really going to be tested. So, I mean, Moriyasu is going to be, he'll be very much, like, um, evaluated based on how he does here. And because get, getting to the World Cup is a given, basically, for Japan. And, you know, six wins in a row, a, a nice neat average of four goals per game in, in that six games. And we can, we can say, you know, it wasn't Argentina and France in this, this game week, but Tunisia and Canada were both at the World Cup. They're both both genuine teams and Japan have brushed them aside. So you'd have to say with the players available to, to Japan, the way they're playing, they've got it all settled down. You would have to go out there and make a statement. We are the number one in team in Asia. And we're going to go over there and win that competition with, with the best players available. And if he wants to, to rotate and sort of give other players a chance, maybe in qualifiers against weaker opposition, I think he might, he might do that. So I, I'm, I'm, like I'm de- definitely agree he'll go you'll go out to win and just kind of coming back to something I, I mentioned there about the you know the, the qualifiers I think again to, to mention Rio uh, I think he posted in his one of his latest blogs about potentially like an, an Asian Nations Cup because it, it does seem to make an awful lot of sense to me I, I know it's happened in, in Europe and I think they've started it in in North America and th- there are some detractors in Europe but it does seem to fix a kind of very obvious problem of moving the, the Euros from 16 to 24 teams which made it a bit too easy for certain teams to qualify. I mean, even Scotland qualified this time with two games to go. So I don't know if the world's about to flip over on its axis or something, but having those extra competitive games really, really helps. So I can definitely see with, with Asia, with kind of having that, that kind of five, Japan, South Korea, Australia, Iran, Saudi Arabia, basically qualify every time. And there's maybe like 10, 15 teams below that that maybe globally are not very strong at the moment, but I think FIFA would probably look at them as being like potential good markets for growth. Like, you know, your Vietnam's, Thailand's, Malaysia, China, Indonesia, Philippines. So mm, mm. I'd like to see some kind of competition like that get up and running, maybe after the next World Cup, which, I mean, I'll be honest with you and I'll be honest with everyone. When I, when I heard 48-team World Cup, I thought that's a terrible idea. But I, I've, I've settled down a bit and I'll give it a couple of competitions and see see how it goes but I mean how does that sound to you Ben the idea of maybe doing something a bit different an Asian Nations Cup or ways to get Japan playing more high quality opposition and friendlies when like for example the European and South American teams are not available yeah I agree Johnny I think it's a it's a good point and definitely one worth considering um I'm sure yeah the boffins at AFC house will uh yeah will uh, thrash it out and um 
hopefully uh yeah get it sorted and uh, we can um yeah see some more competitive football uh, played across the region and it'll hopefully raise uh, the level uh, in general and that, yeah that can only be good for for all the nations both big and small across the continent uh, going forward so uh, yeah that's uh, Tunisia uh, looked at then and also of course last Friday night uh, Japan played Canada in uh, Niigata running out to 4-1 victors with a, a brace from Al Tanaka a penalty save from uh, Keisuke Osako uh, an own goal from Alfonso Davies, uh, Canada's main man, of course. And yes, the uh, very impressive Kato Nakamura got on the score sheet as well. Uh, it was, um, yeah, uh, an occasion at uh, the Big Swan. Unfortunately for uh, for some Canadian supporters, um, the uh, the the evening was marred by some uh, some pretty ordinary stewards at the Big Swan who um, yeah weren't all that uh, happy with uh, the uh, the the Canadian supporters displaying uh, their flags and banners for uh, their uh, for trying to cheer on their home nation so that was uh, very disappointing to hear about and um, a very unusual thing I think for um, for for all of us in Japan to uh, to hear about um uh, that uh, yeah supporters of a of a nation weren't able to display their national colors so um yeah hopefully that'll be looked at and um the the situation um well we don't know what it was like in, in Kobe tonight obviously hopefully it was just an isolated incident uh, in Niigata but uh, yeah that doesn't make uh, the the Canadian supporters affected uh, feel any better about things but um yeah overall a uh, another productive international break for Japan two wins uh, another six goals and as Johnny said yeah a, a perfect average of four goals a game uh, across their uh, last six matches all victories of course. All right. So uh, also over this international break, we had the uh, the semi-finals of the Levain Cup played, and when the dust settled, Johnny, on uh, Sunday afternoon slash evening, it was Avispa Fukuoka and uh, Urawa Reds who have uh, qualified for the final at the National Stadium on the 4th of November for Fukuoka, a massive occasion, their first domestic cup final after they beat Nagoya 1-0 in both legs. Uh, the uh, the first leg at home through uh, Reiju Tsurano's goal in the uh, first half stoppage time and then away at uh, Nagoya on Sunday. Wellington got the uh, the winner on the day and that sealed the deal on aggregate uh, very early doors in just the fifth minute. So yeah, a, a massive occasion for, for Avispa. We'll come on to the other semi-final shortly, but uh, yeah, for Fukuoka, a, a huge accomplishment and uh, one that I'm sure their supporters are relishing. Yeah. What, what a story. They were 16th in J2 in, in 2019 before Shigitoshi Hasebe took over. And then obviously they had that really good season when they, they first came up in 2021 in, in J1. And then maybe last year they, they slipped back a bit and many people like myself included might have thought they've kind of found the more of a natural level. But I mean, absolutely brilliant how they've stepped up again this year, not only in, in the Levan Cup, but in J1 and the Emperor's Cup as well to, to go so far. And this is really a, a good story. I think, you know, Alan Gibson was on, on Twitter X a lot, commenting how much like Fukuoka had rotated the squad from the, the team that had lost to, to Kawasaki the previous week. But 
Now, still, they were able to, to beat Nagoya at home. But we said like, last week there wasn't going to be many goals in this. And you know, to, to get themselves in front, which they were unable to do against Kawasaki the previous week, when, when Fukuoka get in front, they're very, very difficult to play against. And I think Nagoya, they, they likewise, they, they pride themselves in defence and, and letting that 162-centimetre forward get a back post header to, to win the game is, is something I don't think would have went down well in their, their dressing room. And then you know the, the second game is a just a bit of a scrappy game and a scrappy goal but they, they all count so you know, fair play I think it was uh, Kennedy Agnes Mikuni beat, beat um, Langevac to the ball and then Wellington just sort of wheeled the ball in and what won nil up and I, I know um, Nagoya they had um, Nagai's goal was ruled out offside but uh, it was the right decision and he struggled to see Nagoya they had three goals to score at that point anyway he struggled to see them in current form get getting that and then they're having the penalty turned over in the second half no, it was it was a fair decision. There was no contact between Grawley and, and Juncker, and it was more a sign of the kind of desperation of Nagoya not not being able to break down Fukuoka. They just sort of resorted to high balls, and there was again lots of solid defence from Fukuoka had had lots of defenders back, and you know, it's, it's really interesting to see because Fukuoka I was actually looking up it's the seventh biggest city in Japan, and it is very much a, a baseball city with a Fukuoka SoftBank Hawks, but you know they they're not having such a good year this year. I think they get put out of the playoffs last night, and it's mm. a big chance because Fukuoka is a big area for growth. It's a it's a big city. They they don't have that many fans compared to some other teams, but they're big. Like, they've got a passionate fan base, and I'd, I'd really like to see that grow. And that's that's an area I think they should be targeting this season. Get get more fans in through the gate in, in future seasons. It'd be really 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 good to see. And you know the first final. It's it's a great great story for them. For, for Grampus, I think if, if you've been asleep for all of 2023 and you, you come in and saw well, they're quite high up in the league, you know, Levan Cup semi-final, Emperor's Cup quarter-final, it looks all right. But then when you see where they were sitting a couple of months ago, it's just, yeah, it's all what, what could have been. And like we said last week, were, were they a bit premature renewing uh, Kenta Hasegawa's contract? Because, you know, Fukuoka are soaring and Nagoya are really kind of sinking down and there's not really much to left for them to play for over the, the the coming kind of six weeks of the season, isn't there? Yeah, it's really um it's really faded away, hasn't it? The uh, well firstly the title challenge and then yeah the uh their involvement obviously now in yeah in both cup competitions has uh, come to an end and uh, yeah for uh, for Fukuoka a uh, uh an absolutely terrific story and yeah hugely uh, hugely deserved for their uh, yeah efforts over the course of the season and um yeah i'm sure their uh, their supporters will be um yeah hitting tokyo in their droves uh, in uh, in early november for the uh, the Levane cup final where as we mentioned they will be taking on urawa reds uh, reds uh, finally, uh, well, finally, uh, yeah, they it, it was finally done in uh, second half stoppage time of the uh, the second leg. They finally worked their way past Yokohama F Marinos Johnny. Uh, the first leg last Wednesday night ended one nil to F Marinos at the Nissan Stadium. Anderson Lopez's penalty just past the hour was the winner, while the Reds lost Hiroki Sakai to a second yellow card in second half stoppage time. But then at Saitama Stadium on Sunday. Day, uh, two Alex Schultz penalties. The first just past the hour, and yes, the second in second half stoppage time saw Reds through for uh, a chance to win the Levine Cup for the third time in their history. Um, so yeah, overall, when you look at this tie, there are three goals in it, and they're all scored from the penalty spot. So I, I guess um, yeah, it's it's hard to uh, uh, hard to summarise. 
uh, on yeah, a very basic level. But um, yeah, the I guess the flow of the two games and the, the balance of play across those two uh, the, across those two sets of ninety minutes um, did Reds just about shade it, or is it one of those where um, it literally was a, a toss of a coin and uh, and Reds were uh, on the right end of it? Yeah, I think everything about this game just suggested that you know second and third in J1, they're very close, a lot of respect for, for each other. And it just seemed to all come down to, to either decisions involving millimetres or refereeing decisions. I, I think it seemed like, like Reds maybe had the slightly better of the chances in the, the first leg away from home. But then, you know, it, it was a penalty, but it's one of these things that always winds me up when it's, it's kind of not, not a very good cross into the box and it just takes an awkward bounce and it hits Oguara's hand and... You know, well, if it hadn't hit his hand, it would have went to Jan Matthias, who would have had control in the box. But yeah, you know, it feels a bit like you don't want to really see a tie decided in that kind of thing. But you know, Lopez makes no mistake from the spot, and then I think Reds were, were left feeling a bit hard done to because the the second yellow card for for Sakai, it didn't look like there was a whole lot of contact involved. But once he's been given that second yellow, it's very difficult for for VAR to go back and turn it round. So they would have had the bit between their teeth coming out in front of their, their home fans. And then 15 minutes, they had a, a goal rolled out for offside, young Hayakawa, and it, it looked marginally offside. But I know some Reds fans were kind of complaining about the, the lines they'd drawn up. They weren't really trusting that. And then you know, at the other end, eight minutes after that, and Nagato of, of Yokohama, if Marino was having a shot and it bouncing off the bar and then half on the line and half behind and not fully over, and then even Anderson Lopez kind of fluffed the, the rebound. So, you know, millimetres in it at either end. And then, yeah, the, the, the two penalty decisions, I think they both are penalties. The first one, I think Hayakawa is looking for contact and minimal contact finds him. And again, VAR is not going to overturn that once the penalty has been given. Schultz and um, Ichimori the, the wrong way. And then the, the, the winning penalty, I, again, yeah, it's quite close to Sanito when the ball is, is hit, but his hand is, is outstretched. It's in an unnatural position. So, yeah, the referee has to has to give a penalty for that. And you know, if we kind of go back to the Japan Canada game, because I think it was Jonathan David missed the penalty for Canada. And I think you can say if the, if the goalkeeper dives the wrong way and still saves your penalty, then you know it's not been a very good penalty. Shots for his winning penalty. The goalkeeper dived right, and he still managed to get it in off the inside of the post. Um, whether he meant to put it in off the inside of the post, I, I'm sure you'll say he did, but I, I'm not sure I believe him. But you know, big, big player for the big occasion shots. He, he, he had the the composure. He put away his two spot kicks, and yeah, ultimately there's there's not been a lot in this, and there's not been a lot in the other semi final. But we, we kind of predicted that, and you know, I, I, I do have to mention that I, I did say last week it would be a red for Coca final, so I got I got that right. But you know, I, I will also mention um, that the last time Reds were in the final was was 2016, but we, we don't need to say who who they beat on penalties in that occasion. But you know, <laughs> looking forward to to the final, you know, these two teams, Fukuoka and Reds, both both very good defensively. Attack is not their strong point. We could well see penalties again. You know, what, what do you make of it, Ben? We've got the big one of the biggest teams in in J1, a, a serial challenger in in Urawa. And we've got to get the new kids in the block, um, Avispa Fukuoka. Is there any thoughts about that kind of matchup? Yeah, it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be fascinating, I think. Uh, and actually, yeah, I um, well, yeah, usually don't want to jinx anybody, so I, I, I probably should try and stay uh, try and stay neutral, uh, Johnny. But yeah, I mean, uh, just for Fukuoka, you just want their um, their their team to go out and make the most of. 
um, make the most of the occasion. So, yeah, whether they're good enough on the day, I, I will obviously we'll find out. But um, yeah, they've uh, they've done extremely well, obviously in both cup competitions this year. Um, yeah, they would have had a, a lot of regrets about the the, the Kawasaki semi final in the uh, in the Empress Cup. So to to rebound uh, almost straight away after that and and uh, do the business over two legs against Nagoya is uh, is yeah. Tremendous. And it, yeah, it fills me with confidence that they will be able to express themselves on, on the big stage uh, at the National Stadium. So, um, yeah, I don't think we have to worry about it being a, a, a drab occasion. I think, yeah, Fukuoka will uh, will embrace it. And yeah, as we said, their supporters will turn up. We know that Reds will turn up and fill the place. And that's absolutely tremendous. And their their support is always vociferous so yeah i think as an occasion it's going to be uh, it's going to be absolutely top shelf and um yeah the the matchup will will obviously dive into a, a, a bit more in a bit more detail before uh, the game comes around but yeah i think it's it's a, a really interesting one on paper um obviously most um most laymen would have reds as favorites but as we know they've um, they've struggled for goals for, for large parts of this season and and Fukuoka at times have been uh, capable of playing some terrific stuff so uh, as I say if if they're able to express themselves on the big stage then um, yeah they're in with uh, as good a chance as as Reds I would say and um, yeah I think that's all we can ask for from uh, from a, a big occasion like that so uh, yeah uh, well done to both avispa and uh, and reds then for making it through and again as i said we'll be uh, yeah looking at the, the matchup in more detail before the final is played on uh, november the 4th at the national stadium but uh, yeah so with the national team rounded up and the uh, levain cup semi-finals taken care of uh, johnny let's look ahead then to j1 match day 30 as uh, the top flight season resumes over the weekend and uh, yeah some really interesting games obviously on the slate uh, to uh, to get us going um two on the friday night with the uh, uh, kawasaki and uh, reds both at home uh, ahead of uh, some uh, more acl fixtures of course but um yes for the the, the top two the the main uh, title hunters uh, Kobe and Yokohama F. Buddy knows they're both at home on Saturday afternoon as we uh, return to a full slate of uh, afternoon kickoffs on Saturday. And um, yeah, Kobe versus Kashima and Yokohama F. Buddy knows uh, hosting Sapporo are obviously the two big ones. Um, I guess, Johnny, as we look ahead, we've, uh, we've uh, wondered, uh, you know, about Kobe's fixture list. It did look daunting. Um, a, a few weeks ago, I think, as you mentioned yourself last week or a couple of weeks ago, basically as teams are being whittled away from the title race or the, the hunt for the ACL places, maybe it's not looking quite as bad as it did uh, two months ago or so. But, um, yeah, still there are a number of big fish still to uh, for Kobe to, to play. And, um, yeah, Kashima, who are fourth in the table, I guess are, um, yeah, one of their, their biggest tests that they have to negotiate in the last five match days. Yeah, I think that they're still to go to, to Reds, which is probably the, the ultimate, the, the hardest game they've got left. But this is, this mm. is the second 
hardest. Kashiban not an easy team to put away a home or away. Although ha- having said that, Vissel did beat them five one away, which but probably the way Kashima have gone about the kind of second part of the season suggests they'll be they'll be gunning for revenge and they will do absolutely everything in their power to stop Vissel leaving, leaving with three points. So. Yeah, this this probably won't be the, the prettiest game because both of these teams, despite being very successful this year, they can be quite quite gritty and, and direct getting the ball forward. But I, it's absolutely the, the, the game of the weekend. Um, the, the most riding on it. Vissel, there's four points ahead of, of Marinos. Now, I really like the fact that these two games are taking place at the same time. I mean, I know it means you can't watch them more. You can't watch them both, but you can't focus on, on one. But I, mm. I do like that idea of a, of a shootout. So... Yeah, Vissel won't necessarily know what's happening in the other game when they're playing, so that they'll be going all out for the win to keep that that four point gap. And you have to say, if it if it is still four points, you know, with only four games to go, and you know, with with another of those tough tough games uh, out of the way, Vissel they've taken they've taken a decent step towards winning a first title. You know, Kashima, though, they're still in that battle for third with, with Urawa. They'll obviously know um, Urawa's got a, a tough game against Kashima the, the Friday night. They'll know what Urawa have done. If Urawa have lost, for example, or, or even drawn, then there's a chance to either pull, pull level with them or go within a point. So, absolutely. But both of these sides, uh, there are sides in this division that don't have a lot, a lot to play for. But both of these teams absolutely have to go get great guns. And then, you know, Marinos Sapporo, I'm pretty sure, was it last season? This was nil-nil after we hyped it up as this is going to be like 5-4 or something. But, <laughs> yeah, so, yeah it, it it says there should be a lot of goals. But, yeah, Sapporo, you never could go and win 4-1 or lose 5-0 or it'd be nil-nil. you never really sure what you're going to get. I mean, if, if I had to choose, I'd rather be playing Sapporo at home than Kashima at home. But just before I hand it over to you, I just wanted to point out actually on, on, on Friday because... I think I saw was it Navy Blue Wasp on, on Twitter pointed out these are the four cup finalists, but they've just kind of juggled around because you've got the Urawa and Fukuoka, the Levan Cup, and then Kawasaki and Kashiwa are the, um, are the Emperor's Cup, but they're, they're facing the, the opposite opponent. But I thought it was quite a nice bit of, of, of symmetry. Wow. Um, yeah, and I guess because we didn't have too many other things to talk about, I, I know Gambar kind of lodged in mid-table, but there's been a bit of kind of on and off the field news I thought I'd kind of, kind of throw out. Um, I noticed um, they've been doing a bit of open training and had a, a training game and Meshino went off injured against FC Tokyo and Alano was missing, but both of those guys seem to be back and I think I think Alano, whether he'll start or not, I, I'm not sure. And Riku Handa's actually been back training again. He didn't play the, the practice match, so I'm not sure if he'll play in this game or he might be on the bench. And then I guess a lot of people might have seen the, the kind of rumours that's been in all the, the sports papers about Danny Poyatos being um, confirmed for next season, which is it's not been made official yet, but he did say that you know he'd only had a one-year contract and that had kind of affected some of his selections. Like people were asking about about Jiro Nakamura, for example, not featuring, and he's basically just picked the strongest team because he didn't know if he'd have a job for next year. So whether mm. you might see some players kind of come in from the cold for that, and maybe f- further off off the off the field, the actually in the newspapers it was announced that Gamble were going to change their head of recruitment. And actually bring back a man, Mr. Kaji, who who left I think at the end of 2018. Um, he, he him and Kenta Hasegawa didn't see eye to eye, and I think the the uh, Levier Kulpi appointment was the, the final straw for him. But uh, it's like a lot of things in Japan. Uh, you wonder if they kind of they, they leak this information to see the response because I can tell you the response from Gamba fans has not been very positive to that that news. I think a lot of people were quite happy about how the the current um. 
recruitment strategy was going with, for example, the like Netalavi or Isam Jabali, the fact that Gamba were actually, although maybe slightly copying Urawa, that they were actually sort of looking out with the, the Brazil and South Korea and looking elsewhere to bring in talent. So, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, I thought uh, a bit, bit of Gamba news, bit, bit on the field, bit off the field, but, you know, but back to the, the, the main the main story, I think, at the top of the table, yeah, Vissel Kobe, Kashima Antlers. If, if you watch one game, this this match day, watch that one, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, no, no worries at all, Johnny. I mean, we had about 45 minutes of FC Tokyo talk a couple of weeks ago, didn't we? So, you're, yeah, you're absolutely entitled to throw some, some gumba nuggets in there. And, well, if that is indeed true about Poyatos, then uh, it, I wouldn't be a, a, a proper podcast host if I didn't ask you for your reaction to that news then. Are you happy with that? Did you just, I'm sure you expected it to uh, eventuate. Do you, uh, do you have faith in him to, uh, to, to, take, uh, to take gumba forward? Happy-ish, I'll put it down as that, because you know, Gamba have been you know, terrible results at the start, and then a brilliant run of results, and now we've kind of slumped again. So at the moment they're kind of on a downer, but I, I kind of feel like you know you get teams like, for example, like Sapporo. I've seen it posted again because they finished fourth in J1 once, and people think, well, we aren't fourth, so it's terrible. Fire the coach and things. Yeah, I think Gamba, obviously, with the resources that they have, absolutely, people have a right to say, well, what are you doing in the bottom half at 13th and J1? But in the sense of Poyatos, you know, the history of Gamba is, is huge in, in Japanese football, but Poyatos didn't take over like the 2008, like Nishino's 2008 ACL winners or Hasegawa's 2014 uh, treble winners. He, he inherited an absolute shambles, if, if we're quite honest. And you know, the fact that Gamba don't have anything to play for with five games to go is a massive step up from the last two seasons when it's kind of gone down to the wire with, with relegation. So, I mean, there is a bit of a feeling. I, I, I would go with, I think it's good in the sense of, because Gamba have just kept changing their coaches the, the last two or three years. And you end up with, uh, I think Sean Carroll was talking with, with John Steele in, in J2 pod a, a few weeks ago about, you just have this kind of build of like, players that fit one coach's system or fitted another coach's system or fitted the previous coach's system. So if we can get more of a squad where the players actually fit what Poyatas wants to do, rather than it being a kind of mishmash of players he wants, good players who are, are already there and happen to kind of be able to fit into the system and players he doesn't, if it's more of a Poyatas system with everyone knowing this is the way we're, we're going and, and sort of decent recruitment, decent players out, I, I think Gamba can improve next season. I think the quote in the paper was the, the usual one. We're going for the title, which uh, I'm not sure how much faith I put in. Um, but you know, t- top six should should very much be the aim. Uh, I'll be honest, uh, to, to slightly sit in the fence. Some people I know are, are against Poyatos. There's people a lot of like Neil Debenham said that happy clappy, but very much in favour. He he's done all right. He could have done better, but you know, at the start of the season looked like a lot worse. So yeah, I definitely give him a give him a second season and, and hopefully. I know you mentioned with with you the other week about the sort of Albert coming in and the, the front office not really giving him what he needed. If Poyatos is given the tools to to kind of implement his strategy more fully next season, yeah, let's hope. Well, I I'll hope that that Gamba can kind of climb up the table and yeah, I'm kind of expecting to see. There's no official announcement yet, but maybe within the next couple of weeks we might see something a bit more a bit more formal. Yep. Okay. Then fair enough. So uh, yeah, we've talked about the uh, the the two. I guess the well the major games from uh, from match day 30 over the weekend uh, Kobe hosting Kashima and F Marinos hosting Sapporo. So um, 
I guess there's a question I'll ask you now, Johnny. We could end up with uh, eggs on our faces and um, uh, at the end of the weekend because if if Kobe indeed lose to Kashima and Hiroshima and Nagoya win their games, again, that would be Nagoya winning away at Gumbo, which wouldn't please you at all, I know. But um, basically, do you think that Kashima, Hiroshima and Nagoya are too far back now to, to be considered uh, in title contention? They're, they're, the three of them are 11 points behind Kobe with 15 to play for. So that looks obviously too far, but if Kashima... Uh, were to beat Kobe, Hiroshima and Nagoya win as well. They'd all move on to 50 and they'd all be eight uh, points behind Kobe with uh, with four to play. So we've seen arguably stranger things happen in, in the J-League, but you would imagine that that would be too much traffic for uh, for, for those three to climb over um, to, to obviously to have any real say in the title race, wouldn't you? Yeah, I think there's only 12 points up for, for grabs. So, I mean, it, it would take one or all of them to, to win all their games and VCL to basically fall apart and lose all their games, which yeah, yeah. I, I, I just, I don't see it. And it would also involve Urawa and Mariners, who I know are in the, the Champions League, but the fact you've got all those three teams, that for them all to just completely fall off a cliff at the same time would be, yeah, I, I just couldn't see that happening. So all those teams, I think third third place, maybe even second, I, I think is the, the most they can aim for. Um, especially, if, for example, if, if Marinos were to lose to Sapporo and Kashima were to beat um, Kobe, I, I know we've been a bit argumentative here suggesting that, that to happen, but is the, is the J-League, then that would only put, for example, Kashima or Hiroshima and Nagoya, if they won, they'd only be four points behind second. I think that's a more realistic target than it's just that, that last win Kobe got at Marinos. It just puts them that, that bit ahead that realistically, I think they can only be caught by, by Marinos and and if, if Reds won and they lost this weekend, I wouldn't fully rule Reds out. But I think they're very much an amber. I think Kobe and Kobe a solid green, Marinos a, a light green, Urawa an amber, and yeah, Kashima, Hiroshima, and Nagoya getting very close to to a red. I think, and yeah, everyone else purple. That they're, they're out from Series of Down definitely. Yeah, fair enough. Then, so that means that yeah, well, Reds are the only other potential title contender then uh, eight points behind Kobe uh, as Johnny mentioned they still have to play uh, Vissel uh, at home at Saitama Stadium in, in match day 32 but that's uh, yeah that's uh, for us to look at a little bit further down the line and um, yeah really disappointed in myself that I missed that symmetry Johnny with the uh, yeah the four cup finalists uh, playing um, on on Friday night, that's um, a real miss on my behalf, but that helps us link uh, the the title race and the the hunt for the ACL places to the foot of the table as well. With the Reds hosting Kashiwa on Friday night, so Raisol are one of three teams still involved in the relegation dogfight, but uh, yeah, Raisol probably one more win away from um yeah properly being able to to breathe easy uh, on uh, on the weekend uh, Shonan play away at Kyoto and uh, Yokohama FC host FC Tokyo um it does look uh, for the most part that it yeah it's going to be Shonan and Yokohama FC battling out the the one relegation spot and as we've mentioned uh, numerous times in the past few weeks that uh, huge game between the bottom two does loom uh, in in match day 33 but um obviously anything they can do in the meantime uh, Johnny will uh, will help their respective situations so Belmare going away 
to Kyoto and uh, Yokohama FC hosting FC Tokyo. Um, both of those opponents uh, really have nothing to play for. Um, um, can you see one of the bottom two making a statement here with the uh, with uh, with the performance and um, it could see uh, a seismic shift in the dogfight uh, this coming weekend? I'd have to say, and uh, I think Ben, uh, apologies to FC Tokyo, I think Yokohama FC and Shonan would, would both, I can very much see a scenario when both take at least a point from, from their game. I, I don't mm-hmm. see them both losing. Uh, Shonan obviously are, are away, but you know Kyoto are, are 15th and 33 points. So, I mean, statistically, they're, they're the weakest team in the division that are safe fundamentally. It is an away game. I, I know Taichi Hara's been playing well and Toyokawa's been scoring goals. That they're not an easy team to play against, and they've got former former Shonan boss Choki J just to add a bit more spice to the the occasion. But yeah, Shonan's need is greater. Uh, there's nine points between the two, which is is quite a big margin. But over the course of 33 games, it's not it's not that much. I, I could definitely see, especially if Shonan you know, they get an early goal. They, they, they won the last time they were in Kansai away to, to Serizu Osaka 2-0. There's no reason why they couldn't repeat that result at, at Kyoto. Tough game though it is. And then, you know, as, as you mentioned, FC Tokyo, a lot of it depends, you know, which which FC Tokyo t- turns up. Yeah, again, a lot might depend on the, on the first goal because you know, FC Tokyo, as we've seen many times, I think the last time out against Gamba, when they, when they get a goal and get in front, they're a very, very difficult team to, to stop. But as I'm sure you and FC Tokyo fans are, are aware, but when they when they go go behind, often the reaction you get from the players is not not the one you want. So mm. you know, if, if Yokohama FC can get, I know that they've not had the biggest of crowds this season, but if they can get a kind of boisterous support um, behind them, they get a goal. Yeah, put FC Tokyo, who, who don't have a lot riding this under pressure, there's absolutely no reason why they, they can't get a positive result. So... Yeah, I think both of these teams, I think, have a decent chance. Kashiwa have the have the hardest game because also um, Inukai is on loan from, from Red, so he can't play. So I think that means we might be talking about Hugo Tatsuta again ne- next week. So but, I mean, <laughs> other, other teams have gone to, to Reds and been able to kind of stifle them, much to the, the chagrin of, of the Reds, Reds fans. So, you know, there's, there's very much a situation at play where all, all of the bottom three could, could take points, uh, I think so. Uh, what would you say to it? I know one of your teams, FC Tokyo, are involved. How, how do you see those those games panning out? Yeah, I think the the motivation factor is uh, is going to be huge, especially in the the Yokohama FC uh, FC Tokyo game. Um, yeah, I I agree. I think yeah, it, both uh, both strugglers will uh, will take at least a point. It's just a matter of if uh, yeah they can uh, they can take all three and really pull pressure. On on the other, and again, if if Riesel, um slip up on on Friday night away at Reds, which is obviously a, a tricky fixture and obviously the hardest of the three of them on paper, then um, they uh, they might fear that they'll be sucked back down into uh, into the dogfight. But uh, they they have tended to kind of match results, haven't they? Uh, in in the past few few weeks uh, one one gets a good result on on friday and feels better about things but then uh, yeah the other kind of uh, responds uh, in 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 kind later on in the round so it'll be uh, it'll be very interesting and um i guess as we work our way through um the uh, the remaining fixtures johnny it does look a lot harder for shawnan doesn't it with the, they have a, a game against kobe coming up the the following uh, in the following round before Nagoya 
and then that that big game against Yokohama FC. So on paper, it does look a little bit trickier for the uh, the, the club from Hiratsuka. So uh, they'll be hoping to uh, yeah to to take maximum points away at Kyoto, and then um, yeah, well the chips will fall where they may. I think in their games against a couple of bigger fish before they uh, yeah have that huge clash away with Yokohama FC. So uh, all right, yeah, a huge uh, round of. Uh, games at both end of the table in uh, in match day 30 and uh, well we've talked about um the 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 two games on friday night johnny kawasaki fukuoka and uh, urawa kashiwa so uh, another question from this uh, young whippersnapper mr robson was uh, uh, concerning kawasaki so we've had a bit of gumba chat why don't we have a bit of uh, frontale chat before we uh, wrap things up for uh, for this uh, this podcast, Johnny Sam wonders with uh, Kawasaki heading for mid-table mediocrity. Is this the end of their recent dynasty, or do you see enough in their squad for them to return as title contenders next season? Um, for me personally, um, I'll uh, I'll just say my brief part, and then I'll let you have the floor. I think we we often wondered when uh, the breaking point would come, where the you know the the amount of quality players that they've lost would just affect them uh, too much, and they weren't able to either bring young players through the system as they had in in recent years, or the the quality of players that they're recruiting into the club just wouldn't be able to, I guess, live up to those players who have departed. And I think it, it's a combination of the two. And maybe it's it's um, the, the manager as well getting slightly stale uh, in his position. And, yeah, it's kind of a perfect storm. So I, I think for the time being, uh, as um, as we've basically seen in, in J-League history, all good things must come to an end. And, yeah, I think there's going to have to be um, – a bit of a little bit of a reboot, uh, as um, you, you don't want to obviously get rid of um, any quality players that are left there at Frontale. But I think, yeah, they I think they're going to have to really make a a, a push for uh, bringing more young players through their academy rather than trying to, um, I guess, fill in some gaps with some veteran. Uh, signings. So for me, yes, I think this is the end of the dynasty, Sam. And we wondered when it would come, and I think it has. And um, uh, uh, yeah, as I say, I think it's time for the uh, the the academy to uh, to bear fruit again, and we'll see where that takes them in the coming years. What what do you think, Johnny? Yeah, I think overall, I'd agree that the, the dynasty, the the sort of Mitoma Spear dynasty, is over. But you know, they're ninth this season. I think I mentioned last, and they're only six points above above fifteenth. Uh, so uh, I, I don't. I, I think it's quite easy to predict potentially in the, in the future they'll, they'll finish like next season. If you were to say they'll be in the top six again, I've no no trouble believing that. The, the thing is, they're getting back up to that that title push because they're just they've been miles behind like the Kobe and Marinos, even like Urawa and Kashima. I think um, the, the interesting thing I've noticed with with Kawasaki is. A lot of their like statistics actually look pr- pretty good, like on paper. And I think if you're someone like Toru Niki, who has a, a lot of of cash in the bank with with Kawasaki, I think he could put a very good, a very convincing presentation onto the the board of directors about expected goals and quality of expected goals per shot, for and against. And we've just been a bit unlucky this season and point out certain games. But I think when you actually watch Kawasaki, I mean, you know, like FC Tokyo and Gamba, are the same. We've been kind of stuck in, in mid table and. Uh, usually mid-table involves like five or six really good performances in the year, 
five or six absolutely woeful ones, and then the rest is got somewhere in between. And it really feels like Kawasaki have been kind of somewhere in that kind of bracket. I don't really see any reason to say that it should be much higher up than ninth. I don't really see much reason to say they'd be much lower than ninth, but they've been very, very mid-table. And, you know, like you say, there's, there's, there's the main reason. There's the stars leaving, the Mitoma, Tanaka, Hatate, Taniguchi, all current members of the Japan national team squad. That's going to hurt any J-League team. If you look at other players who were around then, they've kind of fallen to the ageing slash injury-prone category. Oshima, Noborizato, Kuramaya, Jessiel. All of those players, I think Jessiel, next March, he turns 30, and all of them from that point on are, are over 30. And then they've got the kind of geriatric attack, which uh, I talked with Neil in the summer about bringing in Gomis. And you've already got Damian, Ienaga, Kobayashi, Jung in goals. Uh, I think th- three of those four forwards have to not be there. I mean, I really like Ienaga, but even the, the 4-1 game they won against Fukuoka, it was, it was anonymous for large parts of it. And, you know, as you mentioned, Ben, the, the new players, the Kawasaki have traditionally relied on top players from, from their youth team, from high schools, from universities. Or from from maybe what we might call like like not the top tier of J J one teams you know not to offend anyone but like, like Omiya for for Ienaga or like yeah, yeah like Sagawa Tono players like that coming from from various sources it's not like they can go out and just buy Urawa or Kashima players and instantly get back up to the top and I think a lot of these players you see like like Ominami Seko Tono Sagawa Miyashiro Yamada. There's not there's not a bad player amongst them, but mm, you know, mm. if you put them into like a starting eleven, it, it looks more like a seventh, eighth, ninth in J1 rather than a, a title title contender. So yeah, I, I think if you were to say to me turn Kawasaki into a title contender for next year, I think the front three would have to be Marcinho plus two players not currently at the club. I think you'd have to choose between Tachibanada and Schmidt and get one of them out to raise funds. And have that one remaining um, plus Wakizaka plus a new central midfielder. Defensively, you'd have to hope Jesse was fit and at minimum have one new defender come in at centre back. And then you'd need a new goalkeeper as well to, to challenge for the title. And with, with their kind of recruitment model, I just don't see that happening next year or the year after. Mm. But I, I would be long term. Like Kawasaki, they've, they've got they've got players out on loan in, in J2. They've got players coming through from from universities and the like so they're not going to go away Kawasaki they're not going to go into a relegation scrap or anything I think they'll be they'll be back around the top five or six next year and then potentially a few years down the line back into title contention but you know that four titles in five years over a crazy spell of Japanese football I don't really see that being repeated for for a long time so yeah long story short the, the dynasty is over but it's not all doom and gloom for Kawasaki fans going forward I think Indeed, indeed. Very well said, Johnny. And uh, thanks, Sam, for your question on Kawasaki and also your earlier one uh, on uh, Japan uh, for the Asian Cup as well. So, um, yeah, match day 30 looms uh, and it gets uh, going on Friday night, Johnny. And uh, also we should mention before we depart on this episode that uh, by the end of the weekend, uh, we might have our first team confirmed promoted from uh, from J2 to the top flight for 2024 and it might be a first ever promotion for Machida Zelvia and I hope I haven't jinxed that for uh, for Machida but uh, yes if they are to uh, if they win uh, away at uh, Kumamoto on Sunday afternoon then uh, that yes they will be confirmed promoted to to J1 as they're currently uh, 10 points clear of uh, two teams in third spot 
uh, level on 65 points, uh, Tokyo Verde and Jubilo Iwata, and uh, yeah, with four games to play. So if uh, Machida take care of business away at Kumamoto, then uh, yes, they will be promoted. And um, yeah, quite a rise for uh, uh, the club, Johnny. And um, yeah, they've been, well, top of the pile pretty much the entire way uh, in 2023. And that would be a, a massive accomplishment, uh, goes without saying, a first ever promotion for them. Yeah, I think to use John Steele's parlance, I think they've got one one foot and about four and a half toes in, in J1. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's very interesting because since, since I started kind of really following Japanese football in 2012, 2013, yeah, FC Tokyo have had J1, J1 to themselves in terms of, of Tokyo fixtures, but you've got Machida first place and then your old friends Tokyo Verde in, in third and you know, he could have as many as three, three Tokyo teams and be absolutely dr- drowning in derbies next season, so... Yeah, I think Machida, the, the interesting thing, that they changed their squad a lot. They, they fell away really badly at the, the end of the previous season. They changed their coach. I think brought them in from Aomori Yamada High School, like Kuryu Metsuki's old, old coach. He's brought through a few players, like Gaku Shibazaki's another one. And the, the interesting thing is they brought in all these other players from other J2 sides, and they've managed to kind of merge them into a coherent unit really, really quickly. I think Eric, the former Marinos like, J1 title winner, was, was key, and he's out with a bad injury, but they... They've still got Mitch Duke um, and obviously Shota Fujio, the unknown from Cerezo up front, and you know, a lot of, of good, hardworking players behind them. So, yeah, absolutely worthy of promotion. They've, they've led virtually from the start. Uh, I guess, you know, you've got Shimizu, Verdi, Jubilo, Jeff below them. Uh, I can imagine that the, kind of the bean counters in J1 absolutely powering that list of teams, getting them back in, all the, the advertising you can do with, with, with any of those teams. So, yeah, I, I think it's yeah, it's a matter of time. If Machida don't go over the line this week, it'll be it'll be the following week. So it's actually I'm glad you, you brought that up because I was gonna I wanted to ask you about you know as as an FC Tokyo supporter the the possibility of there being another what, one or potentially two Tokyo teams. Uh, are you expecting more front office action to make sure that you absolutely do not finish as the second highest like, Tokyo team in, in J1 next season? <laughs> or to be more pressure on next year. <laughs> I don't think it's um, yeah it's worth putting any faith in the, the Tokyo front office to uh, yeah to get ahead of anything Johnny but um, yeah it's uh, I guess from a Tokyo supporter perspective yes the are always uh, yeah the derby is a, a hugely uh, charged occasion um, if it was a, a derby against Machida well that would be uncharted territory um, and, and for me it would be a, a really a quirky one because uh, fun fact Machida was the first place I lived in when I uh, moved to Japan and indeed if Zelvia was a thing back in the year 2000 then um, I would I would be a, a Machida Zelvia supporter I wouldn't be an FC Tokyo supporter but uh, yeah the whole uh, sexy football poster in an AMPM convenience store window um, later and yeah I'm an FC Tokyo supporter for my sins but yeah if if Machida was uh, was around and a proper thing way back then then um, yeah I'm sure um, my heart would beat whatever shade of blue it is that they they call it that they wear but uh, yeah so for me that would that would be just fascinating and fantastic to have uh, Machida play FC Tokyo in a league match. Um, as for the Greens, well, yeah, I, I can't really say anything nice about them, but um, it would be it would be interesting to have them back in the top flight, and um, we'll we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. Obviously, they've uh, they've come close uh, a couple of times 
over the over the journey but um yeah we'll we'll wait and see and the extra time boys will be across that and um most likely celebrating with uh, with Zelvia in their episode next week. So uh, yeah, we'll uh, we'll leave it there for this episode, Johnny. Um, yeah, national team Levine Cup and uh, yeah, a look ahead to uh, to J1 match day 30 and indeed what's to to, to come down the pike at uh, both ends of the table. So uh, yeah, looking forward to the return of the top flight this weekend and uh, looking forward to chatting about it with you on uh, next week's episode. Yeah, th- thanks very much, Ben. I've, I've enjoyed the, the past couple of weeks. It's not been a- as frantic as normal, but I'm looking forward to getting back into the uh, the thick of things next week. And also, f- fun fact, I've also lived in Machida before, and I've been to two Zelvia home games because they were very much a thing, but I was already a Gamba fan by then. So, yeah, it'll be more interest for me next season, definitely, if, if Zelvia come up. And uh, I'd really love to see them playing, playing Gamba. But, yeah, looking forward to getting to things uh, ne- next weekend. And please take care. Thanks very much. All right, thanks very much, Johnny. We might have to uh, thresh out where exactly we lived in in Machida in the green room after this. So yeah, we we might have been neighbours at one time. Who knows? Uh, anyway, so that's it for this week's episode of the J Talk podcast. Uh, Johnny and I would like to thank Sam for his questions. We'd like to thank our patrons for their ongoing support on Patreon and listeners. We'd like to thank you for listening wherever you are. We'll be back next week to review J One Match Day Thirty. Speak to you then. Bye for now. The J Talk Podcast. Yes, 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 yes.